Actually, before um, we hand out the Bibles and before we get into it, I wanted to take just about five to ten minutes to kind of talk about where we're going to be going just from right here because we, we just finished our series about God's love and we're going to be starting a new series um, that I wanted to explain to you guys um, about the, the life of King David. Now, King David is someone that you guys have probably heard about through a lot of sermons, maybe every once in a while a story or a scripture is referenced in whatever was preached on. But what, what we're going to do from here on out through the end of the summer is we're going to just take time to go through the entire life of this man of God. And, you know, someone like David, um, he is, he is given so much content, given so much importance in the Bible. He was... He was estimated to be born around um, 1010 BC. Um, his life and who he is is something that's it's it's magnificent. I think that's the best word to describe it. That he has a magnificent impact on God's story through the Bible. In fact, David is someone who's mentioned 1,141 times in the Bible itself, which is only about 100 to 200 times short of Jesus himself. He's the second most referenced person behind Christ. And with that, there are, there are 138 chapters in the Bible that are either completely about him or they were written by him. And that doesn't include chapters in the Bible that reference him. That includes chapters that are all about him. So you see throughout God's word and, and through the Bible that there's a lot of importance, there's a lot of weight given to who he is. And David is someone, when it comes to God's story and God's plan for all of us, for humanity, that he plays such an important role in. Because when you look at God's story that um, he came, he created the heavens and the earth and we fell into sin and he put into, into motion this plan to rescue us. And what he did was he, he said that, you know, I'm going to send a king in the future who is going to rule the heavens and the earth, referring to Jesus. And so where this takes place, this is, this is about a thousand years before Jesus. And David is one of those people who gives a foreshadow of who Jesus is. He gives this picture of what it's like to be a king in the way that Jesus was meant to be. Now, he was human, and so he wasn't perfect like Jesus was, but he pointed to Jesus of what was to come. And in the same way, you know, David was a man who was born in the line of Adam. He was literally in the lineage of Adam and of Abraham. Um, Jesus is in his lineage. God made a promise to him that one of your sons down the road, one of your descendants is going to take the throne and it's never going to leave him. And so what you see from it in the same way is that just like Jesus, David was a man who was born in Bethlehem. And in the same way that Jesus was meant to be king, even though people didn't recognize it, what you see in his life is a man who was anointed as a king, even though people didn't recognize it at the time. That didn't stop him from, from guiding and doing king's work and shepherding people and loving people and leading people with the integrity of heart that Jesus did, even though they didn't always recognize him as king. And in the same way, too, when Jesus was king, when Jesus rose from the dead, he took the throne, but he even pointed to a greater day. That someday he's going to come back and he's going to right all the wrongs. And in the same way, David, when he took the throne, pointed to a day forward to Jesus and saying, Yes, you may call me a righteous king, but there is one who is much more righteous than I. And he's to come. And so you see this, this picture of, of a king and a foreshadow of what's to come through David's life. Not only that, you also see a picture of the shepherd that's to come. 
Abraham and all those people there, their family job, kind of the family business was shepherding. They were shepherds. David was someone who was called a shepherd as well, as we learned in the story about a, about a month or so ago um, when we talked about dating. But, you know, in the same way that David was a shepherd, that was completely fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus himself says in John chapter 10 that I am the good shepherd, that I am, I'm the shepherd for you guys in the same way that David was a shepherd for you. So you see um, David showing us certain things, what I like to describe it as, David shows us what it's like to follow God. David shows us all these different kind of aspects of what it means to follow the Lord. He shows us kind of what it means to be a worshiper. David worshiped the Lord. David showed us what it's like to play music for the Lord, to dance for the Lord, to shout for the Lord. David himself showed us what it meant to be just a boy. He showed us what it's like to just be a kid. He showed us what it's like to be a husband, to be a father. Showed us what it's like to be a king. He showed it what it's like to be in a position of power and yet still have the humility before God to say, God, I need you to lead me. He was also a prophet. He was someone who heard God's voice directly and had to relay that to the people and guide them through that. There's, there's a lot of titles that um, David has in his life, but I think one of the things that I like, even just about this story, is that we're not studying a perfect person, and that gives me hope. You know, And that gives us hope because David also shows us what not to do. And not necessarily saying, this is what you should do. (laughs) Like, you should act like David did. But David shows us where he falls short, and we learn from his mistakes. You know, what I would just even say as well is, you'll you'll see it through the scriptures, but David was a bad father. He wasn't a good father in terms of, there was a lot of things that were messed up in his family that happened. There was hurts in his life from when he was young. There were, there were adults that spoke some pretty hard things over his life, and there wasn't healing that happened in that. And you, you saw it play out later on in his life. But what you see in this is a journey of an honest person. Can everybody just nod that? This is, just, this is someone just like us. This is a person who has his ups and has his downs. Here's, here's just a normal person. He had gifts. He had talents. But the thing I, would, I think describes David as most is this. If I had to describe his, his life in one sense, it would be, he's a big sinner, but he's a big repenter. David might have fallen short in big ways in his life, maybe in ways that we won't fall short, hopefully, because we wouldn't want you to go through that. But he shows us what it's like to come back to God. He didn't run away from his problems, but he always took them to God, no matter how messy it got. And so you see that in this story, um, and that's, that's kind of what we're going to talk about, and so... Without further delay, if you guys have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open to 1 Samuel 17. If you need a Bible, we have a couple Bible fairies all over the place. And so, um, (laughs) just popping out of nowhere. And so, um, about a month ago, we read 1 Samuel 16. If you guys remember, we read about the story where David was anointed king by a man named Samuel. Um, But there was another king at the time named Saul who was wicked. And so, Samuel did this in secret. David was anointed king, but then he went back to what he was doing. He was a shepherd before them, but then after being anointed, it's not like he was just given the throne. But instead, it was delayed and it was saved for a day that was to come. And so he actually went back to just shepherding sheep, exactly what he did before he was anointed. And then we get to chapter 17, and many of you guys have heard the story. How many of you have heard the story of David and Goliath? David and Goliath is a pretty common story, even for those who, who, who don't call on Jesus as Savior. It's a story of, you know, the underdog defeating the heavy favorite. 
And so we're actually going to be spending two weeks in the story because there's a lot to look at in it. But what ends up happening is there's this battle between the Philistines and the Israelites. And they gather in this place called the Valley of Elah, which is this giant valley. And on one side of it, on the west side of it, was all the Israelites at the top. And on the other side of it was all the Philistines. And they gathered for battle. And then this man walks up who's about nine feet tall and his name is Goliath and he does this challenge to them and this is pretty common at the time when it came to war and battles it said send your best warrior out and if whoever wins the loser becomes enslaved to the other person and he does that for 40 days he taunts the Israelites and it says that every time that he came out and spoke it says on hearing the Philistines word it said Saul who was the king at the time and the Israelites says they melted in fear at the sight of this man. And it even said that later on, whenever the Israelites just saw him, that they fled. That even just the sight of him over time caused them to be afraid of their problems. And so David actually is sent by his father. He's not even invited to the battle because he's not considered old enough or strong enough because he's just a shepherd boy. And his father sends him, he says, take it to your brothers who are at the battle. Just take them some bread. Take them some grain and get an update on what's going on. And he goes there, and he, he happens to hear Goliath taunting the Israelites. And he's like, I'm sorry, that's not okay to do to our country. Um, do you know who we are? And do you know who our God is? And so it causes them to actually go to, to the king Saul and to respond to his challenge of sending a warrior. And that's where we're going to pick up if you want to look in verse 32. So chapter 17, verse 32, and this is what it says. It says, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. I think that's hilarious because they've been, you know, dying for 40 days of fear. And then this tiny little shepherd boy who's carrying bread's like, let no one lose heart. I will fight him. And so Saul's probably like, great, none of my warriors will fight him. And the only person is this little boy over here like, we're doomed. <laughs> like, and he says, and a fair response, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him, young lad. doesn't say young lad, but maybe if he was Irish. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. And then David responds like this to Saul. He says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from his mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, dang, dropping insults, will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. David had him convinced. And then Saul dressed David in his own tunic, and he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off, and then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in hand, approach the Philistine. That's where we're going to stop this morning. Can you all say amen to God's word? You know, when you, when you look at a story like this, and you look at even the response that he gave when he said, you cannot go, then he responds, and it convinces him to say, okay, okay, you're good to go and fight this Philistine on our behalf. 
I think it's interesting that David would look at a time that was probably utterly ridiculous to Saul. Maybe it was something that even seemed minuscule or not important or didn't have a lot of value. He spends and goes into detail about this this period of time that he's in right now before taking the throne, even though he is anointed, and it's about this time in the pasture as a shepherd. So he, he looks at it, and he goes into detail of saying, this is, this is how I shepherded. This is how I shepherded sheep, just, just normal sheep. And it translates perfectly to the way that I am going to lead Israelite. The same way that I trusted God to deliver me from the hand or the paw of the lion and the bear is the same, same way that I'm going to do with Goliath. You know, David himself was a shepherd at his core since his youth. There's nothing flashy about him. He, he went unnoticed by even his own family, that he was someone not even invited to the banquet when Samuel came to see him in 1 Samuel 16. He wasn't even allowed to go to war. What kind of a king that was anointed wouldn't even be let go to war? That was probably a little discouraging for him. And yet what you see from him is you see a man who didn't, who didn't hold bitterness over the fact that everything didn't fall his way, but you see a man enjoying just where he was at. And he was satisfied with the very thing that was given to him, which was the pasture. That God gave him this pasture to be able to sit in and to lead sheep in. And he recognized what God was doing there because it prepared him for the position that God wanted to put him in. Now, when I say that the pasture prepares you for a position to be in, that it's an equipping time, it's not the lions or the bears that prepare you. Otherwise, we would all need to go to the zoo. What it did is it taught him courage. It gave him the courage to stand up against something. It gave him faith to trust in God. It taught him about worship. I'm sure wor- he, he spent time writing psalms about his times in the pasture. It taught him patience. It taught him how to wait on the Lord to give him certain things. It taught him to be just humble with what he had. You know, I had a, I think when you talk about the pastor and what does that mean for us, what does a pastor look like in your life? You know, is a good question to ask and you're like, I don't know, I'm not a shepherd. I'm a kid, I go to middle school. But personally, you know, I guess I would define it as this. The pastor can be a season of time that you're in that maybe you don't want to be in right now. That deep down in your core, you don't want to be here where you're at right now. You know, when I've talked to a lot of junior hires, and a lot of them don't want to be in junior high, it can be an awkward kind of season. In fact, kind of the, the slogan can be, junior high is the ministry that no one wants to be in. It's not to discount what it is, but sometimes we like to look to the future. Maybe, man, I just wish I was in high school. I'm over this. Why am I here in this season right now? That can be a pasture in your life. It can be just a season where you feel like you're held back or you're like, I'm ready for this, God. Please just help me move on. I feel like I'm not being recognized, God. I feel like I'm not given anything. I just have a couple of sheep over here. And you know what? That's, that's a pasture right there for you. And that's something we can all relate to. Can I get nods around the room if you guys are following me right now? Absolutely. You know, one of my friends uh, who lived in the college house, his name was Luke Telfer. Very, very tall individual. Um, he was a basketball player um, throughout high school. Um, he lived in Bend, Oregon. And... His team that he played on, how many of you guys play basketball in this room? Or how many of you have ever tried out for something in this room? Trials can be a little bit intimidating, can be a tough place to be. And for him, his team had won state consistently at the 3A level when he was in high school. Um, they had a really, really good coach at the school. 
And this is what he said. This is what made him a good coach is what he said. So when tryouts came around each year, you get a ton of kids who'd want to try out for the basketball team. They're like, I want to be on a really good team. So this is what he would do. He would look at him and say, guys, I don't cut anyone. Really? Tryouts are two weeks. If you make it, if you survive and still want to be on the team by the end of it and do everything that I ask, you're on the team. That's it. That's all you got to do. You want to know what he did? He ran them. He ran them. They wouldn't even touch a ball for the first two weeks. They would just work on patterns, conditioning, just listening to the coach, being teachable, handling criticism. And so many of them were like, I'm over this. I just wanted to shoot a couple buckets. You know, like, I'm over this. This is way too hard. I'm over this. This is just too much of a commitment for me. And what would happen is it would get whittled down to the small group of people. And then you had your team. And then that team would go on to go far and state or to win state that year because they had in the process developed this perseverance over their lives. They had learned how to listen to their coach. They had learned how to do the hard things instead of just skipping to all the fun things when really to win and to do well, it required hard work, bitter work, perseverance, hard things. It was a genius. It was a genius thing for this coach to do to say, that's how we're going to do it. And oftentimes, you know, God kind of works in the same way of saying, I'm going to put you in a pasture right now. And before I give you the throne, I'm going to put together a season of time that maybe you don't like. But it's going to develop you. It's going to teach you perseverance in your life right now. God, in a way, has blessings for all of us. Can we say amen to that? God has amazing blessings for everybody in this room. Amen? Amen. And God wants us to be able to steward it well and to enjoy every bit of it. And so he puts us in these seasons to develop the perseverance, to develop the humility and the commitment that it takes to be able to possess those things. Who you are in the pasture is ultimately who you'll be on the throne. Who you are when you're in the pasture and when you have nothing is going to be the same person that you're going to be when you have everything. God wants to prepare you for the positions to be faithful, not just to give them up. And that's why he chose a man like David. You know, the entire army, including Saul, wouldn't fight Goliath because they were afraid. And yet these were the people who were too good for the pasture. These were the people that said, I'm not, that's, that's stupid work. In fact, his brother, David's brother, actually makes fun of him when he sees him at the war and he hears that he wants to fight him. And he says, who'd you leave those few sheep with? He just shoots an insult of saying, that's, that's minuscule. That's dumb work. You're a nobody. And yet this is the man who was cowering in fear at Goliath, just like all the rest of the Israelites. You know, patience is a lost art in God's kingdom. Impatience can cause us to overlook important times when God wants to meet us. And I'll just say this as well, that if God isn't enough for you when you're in the pasture, then he won't be enough for you on the throne. If he's not enough for you right now, then what makes it any different when in the future maybe you have something? What makes it any different when you go to high school? What makes it any different when the person that you want to like you so much does? You know, God, if you give me this, God, if it's just this, then everything will be good. But it won't. It won't ever be enough until God is enough for you. I remember actually a funny story. Um, Not funny at the time, but... When I first took over the position of the junior high pastor, this was one of my first weeks. I think it was the second week that I was a pastor. They had this internship program at the church in the college house um, where they had about 
eight people who were in college or like a young adult who were looking to be a pastor. And what they did with them, they said, we're going to develop you, we're going to equip you, we're going to teach you about ministry this summer, and we're going to find places for you to serve. And one of those places where they had them serve was in junior high and high school. It was in those two. And I remember that first morning. I remember that first morning because none of them showed up for junior high. Only two of them showed up. And when they asked them to do offering, they missed it because they were out in the lobby talking. And I remember just going through this and going, this is going to be a long summer. This is going to be a really, really frustrating summer. And then when high school service came around, they were all early. And I remember kind of just this moment of like, oh, man, this is really, really discouraging for me. I remember Sam pulled him over. Sam is the high school pastor, and he said, hey, guys, I'm really excited for you to serve. And he's like, but I want to tell you one thing. Junior high is not JV. And from that moment on, there was never another issue with being late again. You know, oftentimes maybe you look at yourself or you look at the season of life you're in and you think you're in JV. That's not true. I know pastors that have named their junior high groups JV. Uh, That is wrong. That is wrong. You guys aren't second tier. You aren't second hand. You're not leftovers. God wants to meet you right now. Even if you don't have as much as maybe as you would in a future season, you have everything in God right now with you. Right now. Amen? The pasture is where God wants to meet David and reveals himself who he is. And not just necessarily reveal who God is, because God revealed himself to David, but God revealed who David was to himself. David, you're a man of God. David, you're a warrior of God. Maybe God wants to meet you and say, hey, do you know who you are? That you're beloved? That you're forgiven? That you have... You have a God who cares about you and, and protects you and leads you out and where you are. Verses 38 through 40 of the story always get me because what an honor that would be to wear a king's armor. What an honor that would be to wear the armor of a king. And yet David would say, I can't wear this. I can't do this. What boldness. I mean, it's the king. Just wear it and go, you know? No. He knew who he was in the Lord, so much so that he could say no when somebody told him to wear something. He knew his armor, even so much to say no to a king around him. You know, I think as well when it comes to the pasture and when it's time to come to the throne that it's easy as this. God will fulfill your promises, not you. David didn't go to that battle to get a spot on the throne. He didn't go, yes, I'll deliver that bread and then... Maybe I'll get something in, and then I can take the throne. No, he's just acting in faith when he did that. He was acting in just simple faith. David never forced the issue of becoming a king. He never tried to take it by his own strength. He always said, God will bring it about if God promised it. In fact, there were times when people said, David, take it. Take the throne now. And he said, no, it's not God's timing right now. And God brought about the promise in his time. You know, for myself personally, when I think about the promises that God has made of people that I share my life with or friends or maybe positions that I'm in, circumstances, jobs that I've had. And I just, I'm just so in admiration of God because he brought it about. I didn't have to force certain things, but God brought them in. I just had to allow God to bring it in his timing. I think that's something as well. You could look in your own life at all the things that God brought about. You know, when you're trying to force the issue, that's taking it out of God's hands. And, you know, I think a good, good just thing to remember is this. When it comes to God's table, 
when it comes to God's table, don't ever, don't grab anything off of God's table because you don't want to make the mistake of grabbing something that's not for you. Sometimes in our eagerness and our zeal and our impatience, we're quick to grab these things for ourselves, And God goes, no, 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 I don't have that for you yet. And then it becomes really difficult to let go of it. It becomes really difficult to let go of certain things. See, God wants to meet us in the pasture, not just so that we can gain something from him, because the pasture in itself isn't a means to the throne. The pasture is actually where the throne is. You see, that was the whole thing about Christianity, because when you looked at religions of the day, and you even look at religions nowadays, there's always a means to something. That you're going to that person in order to benefit yourself. But God is the complete opposite. God just wants to be with us. That's it. Amen? Yeah, he wants... Let's try it again. Does God want to be with you? Does God love you? Does God want to share every day with you? Absolutely. See, God is different because oftentimes we see God as... Maybe you see him as a means to something for your own life. That you'll pursue God that you'll lay down your life for him, that you'll read your Bible, that you'll be faithful as long as I get something out of it. But that's not what, what God is. Have you ever been taken advantage of by a friend? How many of you have ever been liken, liked by someone or maybe someone wanted to be your friend because they wanted something from you? Maybe they just wanted to play with your basketball. Maybe they just wanted to hang out at your house. Or maybe they just liked you for for inappropriate reasons. It's a hard thing when somebody likes you not for you. But oftentimes with God, it's the same thing where we go to him, but we're not, we don't actually want him. We just want his blessings. We just want the things that are around him. Which is why God would say, unless you become like a child, unless you become like a child, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. You need to be just, let's just be kids together. Let's just be family together is what God desires. That's what David understood, and that's what David shared in the meadow. That's something the Israelites who were out at war didn't understand. For them, it was like, yeah, God's a means for us to just kick butt and to win at everything and to be the best. But what David understood was that, no, God wants a personal relationship with me. He wants to know me, not just know of me. And because of that, he would walk up to a battle where an army wouldn't stand up for 40 days And he would say, guys, do you hear what he's saying? Do you know our God? He knew God. And for that, he was able to say, this is a necessary thing that needs to happen. We need to go out and we need to go fight him right now. And you know what? That's the way that God wants to know us as well. If you you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to read a psalm. Maybe you can just write it in your notes. It's a very common psalm. It's in Psalm 23. Israel, if you guys want to come back up. David actually wrote this psalm. And it says this. It's Psalm 23 when he says, The Lord is my shepherd, and I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul, and he guides me along the right path for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a psalm written by a man who spent his life in the pasture. That spending time with God there. And he realized the Lord is my shepherd. You know what? The truth of it is that God wants to be your shepherd, not the other way around. 
See, God isn't the sheep and we're leading God in our lives and saying, God, you need to go that way. God, you need to do this. God, let me tell you what's right for my life. God, let me tell you of how you can benefit me. God, let me tell you of where I can take you. But it's actually the other way around. That we would be the sheep, that we would be led by God. And whatever God would say, whatever God would teach, and wherever God would lead us would be good enough. God does for us what David did for his sheep. You know, in that explanation to Saul of what he does for his sheep, where he says, I fought the lion, I fought the bear, I've been in the pasture, is exactly the same way that God loves us. It's the same way that God loves us as well. That God would go out and he would fight and he would rescue you from the mouth of the enemy or the mouth of this world and he would protect you. And what even Jesus would say later on is when he's talking about himself as the good shepherd, he says, I would lay down my life for my sheep. He says, a hired hand, someone who's not the real shepherd, would run away at trouble. But God himself will lay down his life because he truly loves us. You know, this morning, there's a lot of ways to respond. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are those who are pure, for they will see God, is what it says. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Those are the people that see God. If you're just using God as a means to something, you won't see him. Understand him. He's going to be confusing for your life. But if you truly seek God with a pure heart of just saying, God, I love you for you, even without those blessings, you truly see God and you truly inherit the things that he has for you. And so if we could just take a moment, just bow our heads and close our eyes right now.